I'm not Pastor Zach. You were expecting to see him. Uh, since he last got up here, he uh, felt really unwell and had to step out for a moment. So pray for him for a moment. And we will not be looking at Genesis chapter 48 this morning. They always teach, they always tell you, be ready to preach at any time. They don't exactly teach you how to do that, but they tell you to do that. Uh, so this morning, we're going to look at, uh, I'm just going to share with you uh, a couple different thoughts. Uh, I'm going to be able to share with you just a little bit of what we learned throughout the week at Junior Boys Camp. Uh, and you're going to get a little preview of what I'm working on. I'm going to be teaching at family camp in, in a couple weeks. Uh, so we're going to walk through some of that together. Uh, but let's pray before we get into it. God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for uh, our time to be together. Um, thank you for ordaining even these unexpected circumstances. Pray for Pastor Zach that he would feel well uh, and be able to be back on his feet soon. And I pray that you'd be glorified in your word this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when people look at the Bible, um, you, can, you can approach it a lot of different ways. Uh, it's so full of depth and truth and wisdom. Um, you, can, you can look at certain aspects of it. You can look at certain topics. Uh, you can do a lot of different, uh, you can approach it and learn from it from a lot of different angles. Um, there, is a, there, there are different ways of breaking it down. Um, there's a, a traditional breakdown of the whole story of the Bible uh, that follows four parts. Uh, if, you, if you've never heard this before, if you have, uh, remember it. This is helpful to understand God's word. Four parts of the whole story of the Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, and then consummation. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. And the whole Bible story follows that arc. Uh, like a normal where you would plot out the storyline um, of any novel or any fiction story uh, in English class. I remember having to do that, having to plot out. This is the beginning, this is the, the climax, this is the falling action, and things like that. Um, interestingly, if you take those four, story, four parts of the story, where do you find creation? Genesis 1 through 3, the first, sorry, 1 through 2, first two chapters of Genesis, fall, that second big category, happens in Genesis 2, and we don't get to the consummation, the, the last one, until the very end of the story, the last couple chapters of the book of Revelation. Everything else in between is God's story of redemption, that third part, how he is bringing everything back to the way it's supposed to be. Uh, this week at camp, we had the opportunity to have um, a speaker who works, he doesn't work directly for Answers in Genesis, uh, he works for a partner ministry, but he has a lot of animation for them, it was really a good thing for the kids to see, he showed a lot of his drawings, illustrations, and things like that, uh, but he walked us through uh, something that Answers in Genesis has made common, what they call the seven C's of history, they break up the storyline of scripture into seven categories, some of you may know this, if you don't, again, this might be helpful just to understand how the storyline flows. Uh, the storyline of scripture they put in terms of seas, creation, then corruption, that fall is there again. Uh, then they identify the next little stage of catastrophe. Does anyone know what the catastrophe would be, junior boys? 
the global flood, worldwide catastrophe, and um, in answer, answers in Genesis terms, looking through the, the, the lens of, of Scripture, but looking at the world, the global flood has a major effect on the way we see the world. The next one is confusion, the confusion that happened at the Tower of Babel, the confusion of languages and the people groups that developed. Uh, and that does a lot to explain the world that we live in today. Um, the next one they get to is Christ and then cross, and we would put that into the redemption category, and then they end up with consummation too. Um, those things go a long way toward helping us understand the world that we live in, understand how scripture speaks to that world uh, in those different stages. It goes a long way to understanding ourself and how scripture speaks to us in those stages as well. Um, when I'm going to camp and speaking in a couple weeks, uh, the, the theme of camp this year is life it's more than a game, and they use the imagery of the, the board game life. Has anyone played that board game life? Yes. Uh, when I grew up playing it, there was, we had the 90s edition, probably. Um, we found, in one of the houses we've lived in, a, an edition that looks like it's probably from the 60s. Uh, we've been playing that with our kids, and the dollar amounts are way off. <laughs> way off. Um, it's a very different type of game than it is in the 90s and probably today. Um, but the, the verse that is the theme this year is um, John 10, 10. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and give it abundantly. So the theme is our life is supposed to be an abundant life. It's a real thing, and it's more than a game. And I think... Uh, the way I'm going to be approaching it when I get to speak up there is to speak to what it means to have an abundant life. We need to understand what life is supposed to be, what our life is supposed to be. Have you ever used something that isn't for the purpose it was intended? You normally don't get as good of results out of it. You don't get good results digging with a hammer, right? That's not what it's meant for. Or have you ever discovered something that has a, a hidden secret purpose you didn't know about? Like if you unroll the tin foil roll, sometimes that thing pops, the whole roll pops out. Do you know there are little tabs you poke in on the sides that hold it in place? I just discovered that. <laughs> but it's meant for something and it has a purpose. And that changes how you use that. I'm sure my wife knew all along. Um... When we know what we are created for, that helps us live the abundant life that God offers us, knowing what we are created for. And one of the main ideas of understanding that found all the way back in Genesis, we'll be in Genesis, just go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. <clears throat> I'll do a little bit of an intro here with you. Uh, I'll have several different talks I get to te teach through at camp, but I'm going to show what our created design is. The image of God is one of the controlling ideas. The image of God is what we are created to be like, what we are created to do, who we are created to be. Uh, and understanding what that is will go a long way towards us knowing how we're supposed to function, how we're supposed to live, what our purpose is, so that we're not 
being used in an incorrect way, in a, like, a, like a hammer trying to dig a hole, or we're not missing out on something that gives us purpose and function, uh, like those little tabs on the aluminum foil rule. Genesis chapter 1 starts uh, the whole storyline of creation, um, and I know all of you remember the last time I preached this a couple years ago, right? Uh, no, that's okay. I'll, I'll, I'm gonna, we're going to focus on verse 26 uh, and 27, but let's not forget all of these verses before show all of the things that God uh, has created before he creates man. He, he created uh, the day and the night, the, the lightness, the light to shine out of the dark. He separated uh, the waters from the earth. And through all of these stages, God is making things that are different from each other, right? Uh, and I was thinking about it, as soon as God, as the, the being that he is, as soon as he takes the role of becoming a creator of something, he's, create, he, he's creating something that's different than him. If he's creating something, it's the creation and it's not the creator. And so as soon as he begins the act of creation, he is making something that's different. And he's making a distinction between things. This is creation and this is the creator. And you follow that pathway through. This is the light and this is the dark. This is the day, this is the night. This is where the waters go, this is where the earth is. All of these things are, are being made separate from each other. And then he gets to... Uh, day six of creation, day six, so follow me in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's a distinction that God is making. Even while he's creating man, it says he made them to be distinct in some ways. They're distinct from all other creation. No other creation has this designation of being in the image of God. So this is like this and this is not like that. And then even within humanity, he creates a man and a woman. And he says, this is man and this is woman and this is not like that. But they're both in the image of God. And then he gives his summary of all of these things that he made very different from each other in verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. God's creation of things that are very different from each other, that have different roles, different purposes, distinctions, things that have to be this and they can't be that, is good. God creates us with inborn limitations. We are who he creates us to be, and we don't get to uh, determine that we want to be something else any more than the lion that was created on day six wishes he could have been the plant that was created on day three. He said, this is that, and this is that, and they're not the same, and that is good. The image of God... He says, let us create man in our image. And that distinction is still in there. He's creating man to be like him in some ways, but he's not creating man to be God exactly like him. Man is the image of God, but he is not God. And that's a good thing. 
The image of God is supposed to show what God is like. We, as the image of God, are supposed to show what God is like in being like God in some ways and in not being like God in some ways. Um, some of the ways that we are supposed to be like God, we're supposed to have some of his characteristics. We're supposed to have a, a mental process that is distinct from other creation. We're supposed to be able to think some of the ways that God thinks, but not all of the same thoughts as God. God has his own thoughts that we cannot think. We're supposed to be creative like God is, but not in the same way that God is. We can create things out of things that already exist, but we cannot create things out of nothing like God did. Like God did. We're supposed to be able to reason morally. We understand right from, from wrong, uh, but not like God does. God is not just someone who understands right and wrong. He says what is right and wrong. So we reflect God, we show what God is like by being like him in some ways, but also by not being like him. I was telling this to my kids just a few weeks ago, actually, and gave the illustration of, of a picture of the Grand Canyon. Have any of you been to the Grand Canyon? Have you taken pictures of the Grand Canyon? And have you showed those to many unwilling observers? Yes. Maybe a few willing observers, but you want to show them a picture of the Grand Canyon. Why? Because it's an amazing thing to see. You just can't even comprehend what it's like if someone just told you what it's like, right? So you take a picture, and then you go and show somebody what it is. Now, is that picture like the Grand Canyon? In some ways, yes. It shows what the Grand Canyon is like. That picture is an image of the Grand Canyon. But... Is it different than the Grand Canyon in some ways? Yes, it's this big. Now, if it was exactly like the Grand Canyon, you said, hey, you can get on a plane and fly thousands of miles, pay hundreds of dollars to go see this down in Arizona, and it's only this big, no one would go, right? But because it's different than this, because the actual Grand Canyon is bigger and grander it's worth showing a representation of. It's worth saying, hey, go and see this thing. So we, as the image of God, are not like God in ways to show how much greater he is than us. We are not like God. Uh, he created us to be worshipers. Uh, God is, is not a worshiper in that sense. And the fact that we are worshipers is because we're very different than him, and he is so much greater. He deserves to be worshipped by us. We are revelation receivers. This next verse we are looking at, 26, 27, look at verse 28. And God blessed them. And the next phrase, how did he bless them? He said to them. He said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. He gave them revelation. He gave mankind, people, the ability to hear this God and then told them what they're supposed to do. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Man has been given a role like God in overseeing things, being a steward of God's creation and ruling and reigning over it in some ways, but not in every way. And even in this, there are some limitations. God's dominion mandate given to people 
Uh, it's not over all of his creation. He doesn't say that man is supposed to have dominion over the stars or the, the waters that are separated from the earth, and that suggests the, the weather, the, the, the waters in our atmosphere. Has mankind been able to have dominion over the weather yet? No. Wish we could. Wish we didn't have the thunderstorms last week at junior boys camp. Uh, but we are not in dominion over that. God has not given us authority over that. Uh, and even the things he has given dominion over us, over, over, have given us dominion over, the fish, the, the sea, the plants, we still not have, we still have not finished that mandate. We've not completed the job. See, he gave that, that t- command, that task to Adam and Eve when he put them in the garden. And the garden was a specific place on the earth. And he said to be fruitful, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. The rest of the earth was not finished in the way that the garden was. It needed to be subdued and the work of the perfect garden completed around it. If we flip flip ahead to chapter 2, verse 7, it tells us, I'm sorry, not verse 7. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. It was perfect, but it still needed work. It still needed to be maintained and then extended. The rest of the earth needed to be subdued and worked into the condition of a garden. Um, This is the very basic role of man um, that we that we see, there's a lot more that develops as we go through the storyline of, of of scripture, and, and our what it means to be an image of God is is expanded and understood more. But at a basic level, he's given one task to to finish what God started, and to do it under God's authority. Um, very quickly, though, we see in chapter three. Mankind fails at that task. The task is incomplete because mankind fails the one command that God gave them. What is that command? We read chapter 2, excuse me, verse 16. Lord God commanded the man, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Interesting to note the word die here, this is coming in chapter 2, right? It's coming in chapter 2 before chapter 3. Before sin enters the world, God is already understanding the potential. He's already communicating the potential of death, of a consequence for sin, for disobedience. This isn't something that caught God by surprise. He's already communicating, do this, don't do that. The consequences will be death. Uh, This is not a surprise But then we get to chapter 3, Adam and Eve eat of the fruit, verse 6, woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And this idea of what they are supposed to do now comes to a crashing halt. What they were created to be uh, is, is completely ruined here. Not, sorry, not completely ruined. It is ruined uh, but we will see, is it completely ruined? No. The worship they were created to have of this God is now turned inward. 
they think of themselves, I want what I want. I want this fruit because I want it. And this worship is corrupted. Uh, so the, the aspect of being an image of God, worshiping who we are supposed to be like, uh, is, is corrupted here. Uh, man's responsibility to tend the, the garden and then work it and keep it uh, is lost. Adam was supposed to keep it in the sense of defending it, uh, but he did not stand up to the one threat, which was the serpent coming in, uh, because he did not keep it, did not defend it. Now they are kicked out of the garden. We see that all the way down in verse 23 of chapter 3. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden. Adam cannot fulfill his responsibility to subdue the earth and work and keep the garden anymore. He cannot do this. Can they, fill, can they multiply and fill the earth? Yes, they can, but it's going to be harder now. The very uh, reality of Eve being able to produce life is challenged here in the curse. Verse 16, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. The pain you shall, in pain you shall bring forth children. Not going to be impossible to fill the earth with people, but much harder now. And Adam's job, again, of, of tilling the earth, it's not going to be possible to subdue it and, and reign over completely, but even just living off the earth is in challenge here. Verse 17, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Uh, the final verse of God's curse here is interesting. You will return, sorry, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. You shall read till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Adam was supposed to have dominion over this earth, and now because death is brought in, Adam will be defeated by the earth. He will be subdued under the earth, what he was supposed to rule over, unfortunately. Now, I already slipped and gave you a, a heads up of where I was going. It may seem that everything is ruined. Does man still bear the image of God? It's not, and I said, no, it's not completely ruined. Is, does man still bear the image of God? Yes, we get signs of that. If you flip ahead to Genesis chapter 9, Genesis chapter 9 comes after the next sea, which was the catastrophe, the global flood. So even after God has judged sin, we read in chapter 9, verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. Why? For God made man in his own image. Even after God just spent several years judging the sin of man, he still wants the image of God in man to be honored in this new stage of life after the flood because it's still the image of God. So even fallen man in the image of God still, even fallen man, excuse me, still bears the image of God. Men who are born in sin don't even know they bear the image of God, but they do. Uh, and this is the basis that we have for law. This is the first time law is introduced, human law, human government overseeing things, that there are consequences at a human level for something like murder. Shed man's blood, your blood will be shed. 
whole rest of the Old Testament, before we get to the New Testament, shows, demonstrates the struggles of image bearers of God who are born in sin, who have no ability on their own to rise up and fulfill what God created them to do, to, to hear God's voice, to try to subdue the earth and fill it and work it and keep it, to worship God correctly. Uh, even when God calls out special people to try to follow him, they cannot do it on their own. Uh, and, and the reality of man born in sin with the expectation, the purpose, the original design of being this image of God, it's a really sad story. But God sprinkles throughout that whole story promises of what is to come. Even back in Genesis 3, at the very time he was cursing man and saying, these are the consequences that are going to be visited on the whole earth because of you, he gives the promise that the serpent who brought this in will be crushed. The serpent would would bite the heel of the seed of the woman, but that seed of the woman would crush the serpent. I'm sure Adam and Eve had no idea what that meant. Uh, but Adam responded in belief, I believe. After that curse, Adam, if you read in verse 20 of chapter 3, after God cursed Eve's ability to produce, made it hard to produce offspring, after he, kicked, he gives them the curse and says the whole earth is going to be corrupted, Adam still responds by calling his wife Eve, that from her would come all living things and someone who would bring life to everybody, someone who would crush the serpent's head. And there are many of these signs throughout Scripture, signs that God is going to bring things back to the way that they were supposed to be. God is going to solve the problem because man cannot. Going to flip ahead in the story a little bit. Like I said, when I speak in camp this week, I will have five lessons, but I'm going to try to move you ahead in the story. Old Testament is full of promises of someone who would come to bring things aright. Uh, we get a, the first sign of that in the person of Christ. If you flip ahead with me to John chapter 1. <clears throat> John chapter 1, some familiar verses we know. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Then we skip down a few verses. Another familiar verse, verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the garden... Part of the, the benefit of being made in the image of God was that Adam and Eve got to dwell in the garden with God. When they sinned and tried to cover themselves, it says they were used to walking in the garden with God, but then they had to go hide themselves. One of the, the benefits of, of being this steward of God's garden was that they got to dwell with God. The garden was where God dwelt with them, and their job was to extend that glory all over the whole earth so that God could dwell with all of creation in complete 
unity. But that garden was then eliminated from our ability to access it. Our access to God was eliminated. The tabernacle, the temple were, were signs of that. Places where God said, I will come and dwell with my chosen people, but only under certain circumstances. Only when there's blood that will cover the sin so that I can dwell in that camp. But now we have the next stage of God's plan. That the focus of that whole major section in the middle, from the, from the, in between the, the fall and the end of all things, this whole section of God's plan of redemption comes to sharp focus here in the person of Christ because it says, the word, God himself, Jesus became flesh and dwelt. And the word in Greek there for dwelt is tabernacled. He came to be the place where God can dwell with man again. And in the person of Christ, we have God and man in perfect unity. And it goes on to say, I'm sorry, I don't have all of my notes with me, um, so I can't think of the reference, uh, but the idea of Jesus being the image of God. And just think of it, Colossians 1, I think, right? Yes. Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he may be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In Christ, we see the perfect image of God, the human the way that we were supposed to be humans. He's called the second Adam. He came to do what Adam failed to do and to show us what the image of God was supposed to be like, the perfect man. And also the full deity dwells in him as well. The the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him in ways that we will never experience. We are never going to be the, full, the fullness of God. Verse 20, he is going to reconcile to himself what things? All things. He's not just going to reconcile us to himself. He's going to reconcile to himself all things, everything that was broken by sin and the curse that followed, and going to unite in himself Everything that was different, everything that is distinct. I think one of the, one of the thing, as I've been studying this, one of the things I picked up on is that God brings himself glory by making all these things that are distinct from each other that then find their ultimate fullness in him. He is glorified by the uniting of things that are very different. Marriage is a picture of that. The uniting of a man and a woman that are different and then they become one flesh. The uniting in the church of people groups that are very different that then become one body in him. And we will see in the end of all things, the uniting of all things in him. And this is what this verse talks about, verse 20. He's reconciling to himself all things. That is one of the glories of God that we would not have seen if he did not choose to create things and then have those things, allow those things to fall into corruption and then he would restore and unite them again in him. Jesus is the image of God, what we were supposed to be. 
He showed signs of that, demonstrated that he had authority over the earth. The miracles that he displayed uh, were miracles demonstrating his authority over the earth, the authority that Adam was supposed to have. But he went a step further. Remember, Adam did not, was not given authority over the stars. It was not given authority over the weather. But when Jesus was on the boat riding in the storm and he said, peace be still, remember what his disciples said? He said, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Man's not supposed to have that authority. Clearly, God does. Of course, what Jesus came to do that Adam couldn't do was he, he obeyed, he demonstrated the righteousness that he had. And when he died on the cross for our sins, exchanged our sins for his righteousness, uh, he, he made everything right that was broken by the fall. In dying on the cross for our sins, he offers his righteousness that was not tainted by him failing to obey the rules God gave him. That righteousness was demonstrated early on in his life when he was tempted in the wilderness. He was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. In contrast to Adam and Eve who were tempted in the garden which had everything that they wanted, had the, every tree that they could eat of. Jesus had nothing. He was fasting for 40 days and demonstrated his righteousness uh, by resisting Satan's temptations. That righteousness is offered to those who turn in faith to Jesus so that we can be new creations. We read about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If any man is in Christ, he is the old man that he was. No. He is a new creation. Our ability to be the image of God was tarnished by sin, but we're given new life in the Spirit by being in Christ. The new ability to be the image of God that we are supposed to be. But our responsibility, our image of God responsibilities are changed now. It's not just focused on the garden. There is no garden. We're not working the ground to make it more productive. We're not taming the earth. Although those are worthy endeavors. They are still a a part of who we are created to be. But our our dominion mandate is different now that we are in Christ uh, because the, the garden is different now. It's not a physical location. Where does man dwell with God? It was the person of Jesus, but then he left and went back to heaven. Now where is the temple of God? We are the temple. The body of the believer is where God comes to dwell with man. And so how can that temple, how can that garden place where God dwells with man be expanded and grown? When the church grows, when the believers grow and new believers are made, is there something that has to do with more believers being made that also has to do with over the whole earth? The Great Commission. Go and make disciples of what? Of all nations. The glory of God in living, dwelling with humans in us. In us, not just dwelling with us in a place, but in us, and that growing and expanding is is the responsibility of those who are new creations in Christ, not just original creations with Adam. And we see that come to a conclusion in the end of all things. Can easily go to Revelation twenty one and twenty two. 
sorry, that middle section, the redemption. We have the whole Bible almost to cover. We were jumping around, but ending in Revelation 21 and 22. There is a new heaven and a new earth. He who is sitting on the throne, verse 5, I am making all things new. So the creator who then made us new creations, spiritual creations in Christ, is now making all things new. Three ways that God is creating. Original creation, creating spiritual life in us, in Christ, and then he will make all things new. Uh, he, we see in verse 9, there's this new Jerusalem. This is the, the capital city of the new creation, the focus of where God will dwell with man. There is still a new earth and a heavens that are distinct from each other. He's bringing them all, he's uniting them in himself, and the focus of that is this new city, Jerusalem, where he will dwell with man. Uh, the river of life in 22, there was a river in the original garden. This river offers life, and it's centered around a tree, the tree of life, which was in the Garden of Eden, uh, that allows men to live in eternity with him. Sorry, I'm trying to remember one more place that I was going to, to point out to you. I think it's in an earlier place in Revelation, but we, we read in Revelation 4 and 5 that around the throne, people are worshiping God, and there, were, there are people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people. Um, God will be glorified when all of these different people are again united in him, because the gospel has gone out, all of these new temples and tabernacles that have spread around the world, uh, what we call the church. And then also the church will be united with Israel, the believers from the Old Testament. Those will be united in him around his throne, fulfilling their purpose in the image of God by worshiping him, uh, by continuing to sit at his throne, hearing from him, receiving his revelation. But we will be united where everything is complete. The work that was not completed by Adam in the garden, it was started to be made new in Jesus, will be complete when all of the heavens and earth are, are finished, are the place where God can dwell with man. And we read that here in 21, 22 somewhere. 21 verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Thank you for following with me, if you were able to, through those, that, that picture of the image of God over time. And let me try to sum it up in a few helpful things for you. We looked at what the image of God was supposed to be in a little bit uh, in creation, what it was supposed to be. We talked a little bit about how it changed in the fall. Uh, we talked then about how God has made us new in this plan of redemption. The person of Christ came to do what we couldn't do and makes us able to do what we were supposed to do, but it's changed. It's a spiritual dominion instead of the, the physical. And then we kind of finished up here briefly what it will be like in the end of all times. Um, those are four different things to think about when it comes to being the image of God. 
It has four different aspects throughout history. We're living in this one, but I want you to think, which of those other ones, which of them affect how you live now? Which of those, what it was supposed to be, how it was changed by sin, how it was changed by Jesus, what it will be, which of those affect how you live now? And I want you to think, more than what I'll be able to say as I close, how the answer to that question should be all of them. All of those stages of human history affect how we live, not just the one we're living in now. What God originally created us to be tells us a lot about how we're supposed to live now. The fact that sin entered the world tells us a lot about why we struggle to be who we're supposed to be. Understanding sin and its effects in the world helps us understand our struggles and then understanding the world we live in now with Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, how you can overcome the things that went wrong in stage number two. How you can be what God originally created you to be and more. Maybe you're still thinking, though, what's about this last one? How does that affect how I live now? What is it, how I will be in eternity to come? How does that affect how I live now? It should in a few ways. Uh, and I encourage you to think about it. The one I can communicate well off the top of my head is found in 1 John. If you want to finish with me in 1 John. First John chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 2. Read verse 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. And that's speaking to those who are in Christ, who have been made new creations. And what we will be has not yet appeared. We are, we've not seen the return of Jesus yet to know exactly what we're going to be like in eternity. Because we will be like him. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. It's a promise. That's a hope. Here's the the kicker. Verse 3. Why why does that matter now? Verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We're still in in the world, in this broken world. We're still in the flesh. We've been made new creations, but we still struggle with the world. There's a point in time where we are going to be made pure. We're going to be made like him where we'll see him as he is. John is saying here, if you're hoping for that, you've got to be changing now. And he's not saying you're doing all the work on your own. You try harder. He's saying don't hold on to what you used to be. If Jesus is coming back with the promise that you'll be made new, don't live like the dead man that you were. Live towards that life as much as you possibly can in this day and age. Be as much like Jesus as you possibly can now. If that's where we're supposed to be for all of eternity, it must be a good thing. Don't spend these years not being that. Don't waste these days living like your old self. I encourage you to think more. How do those things affect the way I live? Do I 
understand my created purpose? Am I using my life, my image of God created design for what it's supposed to be? Or am I wasting it on something else? Is the hope of what I am supposed to be, does that give life to me now? Am I growing? Am I becoming like that? encourage you to think about that. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you created us to be like you. Thank you that you've revealed yourself to us. Thank you that we know what we're supposed to be, who we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to live, and that you made us new in Christ. You sent Christ to be what we couldn't be, to give us hope to be what we can be. I pray that would change the way we live now. pray in Jesus' name. Amen.